friends and welcome to Girls Camp. It is me, your host, Haley Rawl. Happy to be back podcasting. Happy to have you back. If you're back or if you're here for the first time, welcome. I always wonder how many new campers we have along the way. I forget that people are discovering the podcast as it still continues. So anyway, if you're new here, hi, so happy to have you. This is a great episode to jump in on because I feel like Girls Camp is at its best when we are doing crazy story submissions. And today's episode is called Overheard at the Pulpit. Well, I don't know if I'll title it that, but that was the submission box title. And I had people write in things that they have heard over the pulpit at church. And it is as fruitful as you can imagine. There are so many crazy stories. I only got through like a third. I was only able to read through a third. So I will be revisiting this maybe even later this month because there are many a story to tell and I'm excited for the stories for today. You will be listening to this on Wednesday the 27th and I am recording on Saturday which is Christmas Eve Eve. So Christmas has not yet happened so I hope you had a good Christmas, a good holiday, however you celebrated. I hope I had a good Christmas too. I will give you an update on how my Christmas was next week, but I'm sure it will be lovely. I actually feel grateful for it being the Christmas season right now in light of my dad dying. There's a lot of time just to be with family, to focus on togetherness, and to focus on just appreciating each other and what you have and new things that you're getting. I don't know. I feel like it has felt better to me to have Christmas to look forward to after my dad dying at the beginning of this month, but I know that's probably not always the case for people. And wherever you're at, however your Christmas was, whatever you're dealing with or going through, I hope that you manage to have some joy and some peace and contentment over the holiday season. There is a lot of debate about the week between Christmas and New Year's Eve. I know a lot of people hate it because a lot of people think the post-Christmas depression kicks in on Christmas Day at 4 p.m. I saw a TikTok that said that and I thought it was funny and kind of true. I can see how it would feel that way. For me, I really love this week between Christmas and New Year's Eve because I feel like things are still halfway holiday. It's not full back to work. It's not full back to school or whatever else. It feels like people are still around. You know, there's kind of the laziness after Christmas. There's still family things. I feel the depression kick in more after New Year's Eve when you're looking at a stretch basically until April with not tons to look forward to. So, Hopefully this week I'm not feeling the post-holiday depression and hopefully you are not either. Like I said, I know there's a camp of people who really are already feeling that seasonal depression full force. So sorry, it's a long stretch here in Utah and I am also buckling up for it, but this week's kind of a nice in-between. Speaking of winter and weather and Utah seasonal depression, Bentley and I actually decided a few weeks ago 
to sublet an apartment in LA for the month of February. So for February, we are going to be living in LA, which I'm so excited about. We've had LA kind of in our minds for some time. Bentley is a commercial cinematographer. You know, the mecca for his career is LA, is Hollywood. And with me doing the podcast, there's a lot of opportunities for me in LA as well. So we've wondered about it and have considered making that leap in a year or so. But Bentley's friend and two friends, actually, they're partnered. They were subletting their apartment in Venice Beach for February. And we were talking about it, considering it. And then my dad died. And a few days after that, we were kind of like, let's just do it. So we are going to LA in February, going to be in Venice Beach. I am so glad we decided to pull the trigger on that. It feels out of our comfort zone in a lot of ways and feels scary in a lot of ways, but I think it will be really good. And I'm really excited just to be somewhere, if anything, with better weather for the month of February, because that is probably my number one least favorite month to be in Utah for. So I'm super excited for that. And I'm excited for the potential opportunities that LA might provide for us and for our family. And especially with me getting laid off for my day job because Bentley's freelance, it gives us that flexibility, which I know is a huge privilege and I'm really grateful for. And we'll see how it goes. I will be coming at you from LA for the month of February. Okay, let's jump into the overheard at the pulpit stories. For those of you who are never Mormon, who are listening, there is something that happens once a month in an LDS church called Fast and Testimony Meeting. So it's the first Sunday of each month. Everyone is asked to fast if you're able. And then the hour of sacrament meeting, which is usually talks like a planned program agenda, is open for anybody to come up and bear their testimony. This, as you can imagine, is just a situation ripe for craziness to happen because there's really no set subject matter. Obviously, it's like you're supposed to bear your testimony about the church and Jesus and Joseph Smith and whatever, but really it's basically open mic night during church. And so some crazy things sometimes happen or people say crazy things. But when it's not fast and testimony meeting, you also have talks that are just given by members of the ward. So yes, the bishop in charge of the ward is kind of like a pastor in the sense that they are presiding and conducting and they are supposed to be in charge of like the wellness of everybody in the ward. But they don't actually preach very frequently from the pulpit. They will give like their little intro and say a spiritual thought at the beginning or at the end, but most of LDS meetings are members of the ward being asked to speak. Usually on a regular Sunday, there's a topic, so you'll get a call from the bishop and they'll say, hey, we want you to give a talk for five minutes about the atonement or about the word of wisdom, what have you, you also get some really interesting things happening because none of these people are trained professional speakers. Very often the case is that it just lends itself, in my experience, to kind of a boring experience. I I hesitate to say that because I think there's something nice about the idea of having people speak and not just hearing from the same person. But 
unfortunately, not a lot of people are incredibly gifted speakers. And so it does tend to get a little boring or a little bit off topic. There's all sorts of things that can happen, which we will jump into today. But I always think that's an interesting thing to talk about. I always forget how unique that is in the world of most religions. And most people, when they go to a church service, are expecting to hear from a spiritual leader of some sort, a pastor, a preacher, and in Mormonism, it's a little bit different. I have to confess myself that I was that bitch that bore her testimony fairly frequently. I say that, and it's not like I was going up every single month to bear my testimony, but I do feel like I would bear my testimony every now and again, which a lot of friends or family members, it was like pretty rare that they would bear their testimony, and I was again, that bitch who, you know, I like attention, I guess. I don't always know what my motivations were, but I would bear my testimony every now and again. And I loved when I got asked to give a talk. If you're listening, you're probably like, no shit, Haley, you now have a podcast where you talk our ears off every week. I like talking. So I enjoyed the public speaking element of it. And similar with the testimony meeting thing, I feel like I would have thoughts or ideas that I thought were fun to go share and bear my testimony of. There's this thing that happens in a testimony meeting, which if you're Mormon, you've probably experienced this at least once in your life, where you're sitting there in the pew and people are going up and then there's a long pause where nobody's going up. And it can be a minute, a couple minutes, five minutes, and everyone's just sitting there looking at each other like, someone please go up. It gets really awkward. But when you're sitting in the pew, oftentimes there's that awkwardness, kind of that tension, and your heart starts racing, and you feel like it's the spirit telling you it's got to be you. And you start thinking like, am I actually going to stand up and go up there? What am I going to say? And then someone from the crowd will just finally stand up and everybody breathes a sigh of relief. There's that thing that happens. There's the thing where you feel a spiritual prompting or what I thought was a spiritual prompting. And so you kind of force yourself to get up. And there will often be people who will go up and say, oh man, I really don't want to be up here, but the spirit just wouldn't quit. Like the spirit got me up here. My heart's racing. I just knew I had to do it. And then they sort of just fumble about as they try and figure out what to say. So many niche experiences in a sacrament meeting, particularly, and just in the culture of talks and testimonies that we will begin to delve into now as we jump into these crazy stories. As I always say, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. Okay, first write in. One fast Sunday, a guy got up in front of the entire ward and apologized publicly to his wife for cheating on her and all the other issues he'd caused in their marriage. She was mortified. Ooh, the contrition repentance thing. When someone feels like their sin was so grievous that they must confess in front of everybody to the utter humiliation of the wife. This poor wife, probably not wanting her business, her marriage issues to be known to everybody in the ward in the community, but her husband thought that he needed to apologize publicly. That's really tricky, but I cannot lie and say that every testimony meeting, I was hoping so badly that some interesting shit was going to go down to the tune of someone publicly admitting infidelity. Unfortunately, I don't remember ever being present for such an occasion, but I'm jealous because, if anything, that would have been entertaining. 
not to make this woman being cheated on and then humiliated for my entertainment. I do feel very sorry for this woman, but I can imagine the gasps and the people whispering to each other in the pews would have been probably more exciting than a typical testimony meeting tends to be. Okay, next story. An old lady during testimony meeting told everyone to stop lying to their kids about Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy. But she said S-C-E-B and T-F. The bishop got up and shut her down pretty quick, and she was angry about it, but the damage was done. I know some of the kids that that were there that day who are now adults, and each of them say that woman is the reason they stopped believing in Santa. I thought this was timely, considering the Santa talks that we have had. Because I've had many of you send me some reels and TikToks of people talking about the Santa conundrum, dilemma that some of us have. And I will say my tune on the Santa thing changed. And it changed pretty quickly when I was sitting on this very couch and we have the frame TV and it had this painting of Santa and Clementine looked at it. This was a few weeks ago and pointed and said, Santa presents. And my heart melted and I was like, I don't even care. I'm doing Santa. This is magic. I would never not do Santa. It is the spirit of the season. It is everything special about Christmas. Basically, watching my kids look at Santa and talk about Santa has been so special. I haven't really jumped fully in or decided because they're very young, but I think I will be doing the Santa thing. I've heard a lot of people talk about it as entering the world of pretend and play and imagination with children, which I think is really nice. That helped me reframe not only how I think about it, but I think how I want to go about it as a parent. And instead of really emphasizing there is a Santa and all these logistics of how Santa operates. I just want to lean into the playfulness and the imaginativeness of the Santa Claus thing. So I'll keep you updated next year. That said, Santa should be the decision of every family and such a bummer when someone says something like this, especially in church, so unnecessary, so irrelevant. Why was this lady even needing to talk about this from the pulpit? I have no idea. And I'm sorry to those kids who had the magic squashed from an old lady in the ward who didn't want to keep her mouth shut. Okay, next one. A guy proposed over the pulpit during fast and testimony meeting. He was a visitor and his girlfriend was in town visiting her parents. She got up and ran out of the chapel. Oh my gosh. I've never been one. Well, that's not necessarily true. I think a public proposal can be pulled off in a really lovely way. I do not think a public proposal would be the way to go unless you had told your partner, not that you were going to propose, it can still be a surprise, but unless you were both on the same page, like we're getting married, the partner knows I'm just waiting for him if we're talking about a man and a woman, I'm just waiting for him to propose. And so it's going to come anytime. And then, oh, surprise, it's at classic skating, which oddly, I feel like anytime I've gone to classic skating in Orem, Utah, someone gets engaged there. Maybe that's just because it's Orem. I don't know if that's a universal roller skate rink kind of thing. All this to say, proposing over the pulpit is just not it. It's not romantic. It's not cute. It's not anything that any woman on God's green earth would want from a proposal. 
as is evidenced by the girlfriend getting up and running out of the chapel. That sounds really uncomfy for absolutely everybody involved and everybody in the congregation. But back to what I was saying before, can't say it wouldn't be entertaining if you got a public proposal from the pulpit and saw the girlfriend running out of the chapel. Good for you, girl. Keep on running. This kid in our ward who frequently smoked weed got up and shared his testimony while he was high. It was hilarious and kind of subtle. He kept rambling about the stupidest shit. He was talking about babysitting his nieces, making macaroni and cheese, and the bishop had to ask him to sit down after he started talking about his pornography addiction. Yikes. I have wondered what an experience would be like to attend church while high or some sort of church function while high. I saw somebody on ex-Mormon Reddit, which is just the only reason I'm on Reddit is to be on the ex-Mormon Reddit page. Lots of super interesting stories and discussion. I get deep down the rabbit hole of ex-Mormon Reddit, but I saw someone post on there a little bit ago saying that they got high and went to the temple because they still have their temple recommend and they are, you know, on their way out of the church, but they still have their temple recommend. So they, I think, took an edible and went to the temple. That would be an experience. I don't know if it would be so scary paranoia high because of the circumstances or if it would just feel so funny and outrageous. I don't know. I haven't done it myself. That is super brave to get up and bear testimony while high. And Yeah, I can imagine you feel a little bit more uninhibited and might be talking about a pornography addiction that you wouldn't be talking about from the pulpit while sober. So maybe the bishop did the right thing to ask him gently to sit down. This happened in my YSA college ward literally one month ago. The stake president got up at the end of testimony meeting and said, I want all of you to listen and I'm going to wait until all of you are paying attention. A kid who was sitting in one of the front pews was on his phone and the stake president looked at him and said, I will wait until you are paying attention to me. After gaining everyone's attention, he went on to say, I know all of the sins you have committed. The bishop talks to me, and I know this is a very sinful stake. I know you are all engaging in oral sex, and that is not okay. Oral sex is sex, and the fact that all of you are participating in this is extremely sinful. So insane. So insane. So infantilizing to be a group of young adults and to be chastised and humiliated publicly as a group. The way that the stake president demanded everyone's attention is giving kindergarten teacher vibes, like one, two, three eyes on me. It's all just a little much. And it's just such a terrible tactic because I cannot imagine that that sort of tactic would move these young adults toward not having oral sex. I just highly doubt that that's an efficient way to get young adults to actually stop having oral sex but very crazy to call out a whole group of people that way. Also crazy that the bishop is just relaying every instance of oral sex he hears about in the stake to the stake president so that the stake president can keep a tally of everyone having oral sex. I wish this energy was being used in more productive ways. Okay, next one. One lady got up and started to bear her testimony about her children and how holy, righteous, and lovely they were. She said that they were so blessed because they kept the commandments, but most specifically because all of her children were, quote, conceived through the holy garments. 
Taken aback, we thought she had misspoken, but she then proceeded to repeat it numerous times that her children were conceived through the holy garments. Okay, so I think what this means is that she did not take off her garments when she was conceiving her children, aka having sex to get pregnant. This begs a few questions, and I don't want to get too graphic here, but am I remembering right that there is such a thing as crotchless garments? Am I remembering that right? I think this only was the case when garments were back in the day when they were a one-piece garment. There were one-piece garments that I think were crotchless so that you didn't have to like remove the entire one piece in order to use the restroom. So maybe she was wearing a one piece garment because otherwise she would have had to doctor the garments for this purpose. This is nutty, crazy, regardless. Whoa, wow. Doing that in the first place has me kind of speechless. And then thinking that doing that conceiving children with garments still on would actually have an effect on the children's holiness and goodness and righteousness when they came. This one was so wild, and I can't imagine someone admitting that publicly. It's just wildly, wildly inappropriate to even be talking about that in a public space where even children are there. I mean, children are in the sacrament meeting too, so not sure why this felt important to touch on for this woman, and hopefully she said it in such a way that, you know, the children in the room weren't understanding, but still, this one blew my mind. I had no idea this was a thing. I need to know if this is a common thing, so I will probably be visiting ex-Mormon Reddit to discover if there's anything else on this. Next one, had someone go on a 10-minute tangent while giving his testimony about how the church and the Star Wars universe are parallel and that you can learn a lot about the church from watching the movies. Okay, I need to put a pin in the Star Wars Mormonism thing. I quickly Googled this when I read this submission, and there are numerous articles about why Mormons are so obsessed with Star Wars. So I'm going to go down that rabbit hole as well and do an episode about Mormons and Star Wars. But I also think this extends beyond Star Wars. Mormons love a fandom. Mormons really seem to love a fantasy sci-fi fandom. Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Twilight. Not only do a lot of Mormons love these fandoms or are a huge part of these fandoms, but also a lot of fantasy authors are Mormon as well. You think of Brandon Sanderson, Stephanie Meyer, of course, of Twilight, Shannon Hale. There's a lot of really interesting crossovers between Mormonism and fantasy science fiction, and I think Star Wars in particular. I briefly scrolled through an LDS Living article written by an active Mormon about the similarities between the Star Wars universe and the Mormon church. Maybe the author of that LDS Living article was the person who went and bore this testimony, but I doubt that this is super rare. I feel like there's a lot of Mormons who are really into it and find a lot of ways to make parallels to the gospel. So let's put a pin in that and dig into that a little more in the future because I find it utterly fascinating how those things overlap. Oh my goodness, this one. 
Once a lady in my ward got up to bear her testimony about how thankful she was for all the help she received from the ward after her husband's scrotum surgery. She went on and on about how much she loved the ward and mentioned the scrotum two or three more times. It was completely silent in the room when her husband immediately rushed to the pulpit afterward and said, it was my sternum, and walked back to his seat. What a mix-up. Sternum and scrotum. I mean, they do sound very similar, but are obviously very, very different things. And yes, you would think that one would not be toting her husband's scrotum surgery from the pulpit, but sternum surgery maybe makes a little more sense. Also, I didn't know you could get surgery on your sternum. Must have broken it or something, but sounds a lot better than getting scrotum surgery. So at least it wasn't actually the scrotum surgery that the lady thought it was. Okay. We had a guy bear his testimony that the CIA has officially infiltrated every aspect of our lives, even the highest leadership of the church. He said nowhere is safe, not even words from the prophet, and we would be wise to start thinking for ourselves. My parents were visiting and they were mortified. The best part? Three older men came up and bore testimony that everything that previous man had just said was true. Woof. The conspiracy theories that many Mormons seem particularly susceptible to. When I was in Sunday school as a young teenager, I was probably 14 or something, I had a Sunday school teacher who taught us during a Sunday school lesson that 9-11 was an inside job. He was doing the whole jet fuel doesn't burn beams, whatever the saying is. If you've heard it, you know it. He was just telling us that 9-11 was a conspiracy and that it was all an inside job by the U.S. government. And I was 14 years old. That was the first I had ever heard of that conspiracy theory. And I remember being so confused because I had never heard about it. And now this person in some kind of way and authority over me was teaching me. I don't think I believed it. I think he was a strange man anyway. But the fact that he was teaching conspiracy theories as truth is really troublesome. And I feel like in Mormonism, there is a vulnerability to falling for conspiracy theories. I think we saw that in a big way during the Trump QAnon era, and there's a lot of kind of Mormon-specific conspiracy theories or conspiracy theories that I think make a lot of sense when you believe in Mormonism. I think there's a sort of anti-government sentiment that can be found in a huge way, of course, in Mormon history with Joseph Smith and Brigham Young in the early days of Mormon history. And the church these days has a really interesting relationship with government, right? Because they emphasize keeping the laws of the land. Yes, but I also feel like there's this kind of superiority thing of People in government are not always righteous people and are not doing what God would have them do here on earth, which can very easily spiral into conspiracy theories. This one is super interesting because he was saying that even words from the prophet are not to be relied on and that we should think for ourselves, which again is a common conspiracy theory statement. Oh, and of course, can't believe I forgot to mention the whole sound of freedom, sex trafficking stuff, and how Tim Ballard was essentially not necessarily making up conspiracies, but 
seems very much in that same world of people who really, really bought into the Tim Ballard stuff, despite a lot of warning signs and despite a lot of people saying that his practices were unethical, et cetera, et cetera. So the conspiracy theory thing is another really interesting to think about in relation to Mormonism, high demand religions. And this testimony doesn't really surprise me because I am just not surprised that that's a sentiment being shared over the pulpit. I'm sure many of us have similar experiences where we've heard similar things in our time at church. Here's another fun conspiracy theory one. In one testimony meeting, someone got up and said that President Obama was a Gadianton robber. Another person said that the reason the U.S. is in such a horrible state is because women started to wear pants. These were both in the same meeting. The bishop did not put a stop to it. My husband got up and left. I was just too stunned to move. I haven't heard the President Obama Gadianton robber one, but again, very much not surprised. A lot of Mormons did not like... Barack Obama. And I'm not surprised that some thought he was a Gadianton robber. For those of you who don't know, the Gadianton robbers are a group of people in the Book of Mormon, kind of like the Illuminati almost. They were a group of people who had, quote, secret combinations who were kind of like controlling things and had evil aims and were, you know, wanting to bring down society. So it's not rare for world leaders who are liberal and progressive to be deemed as such. The reason the U.S. being in such a horrible state is because women started wearing pants. Please bless that came from someone very, very old because that one is particularly wild. And if anyone below the age of 85 has that sentiment, I'm really scared. Anyone above 85, I'm also scared, but below 85 would make it much worse. This brings to mind the interesting dynamic with politics, too, and how frequently politics tend to overlap with religious ideologies and beliefs and how difficult a lot of people find it in the Mormon church to not make things political. And a lot of people just do. And surprise, surprise, usually when they do, it is from a very conservative standpoint. And Oftentimes, testimony meetings or talks are opportunities for members of the congregation to subtly or less subtly share their political opinions, which gets really tricky and really complicated. And you end up with someone calling President Obama a Gadianton robber from the pulpit. In my ward at BYU, a girl got up and said a portion of her face was bleeding after she got a facial, but it gave her a new appreciation for the atonement because she understood what it was like to bleed from her pores. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Little bit of a stretch. Little bit of a stretch. And there was a lot of stretches when it came to analogies and metaphors and extending experiences in this kind of way. Mormons love a metaphor. They love an analogy. They love it. They eat it up. I ate it up. And I still find myself, as an ex-Mormon, trying to make metaphors and analogies out of everything. And I think it's a very Mormon impulse. I think there's just this Mormon impulse to create meaning out of sometimes very trivial things like, oh, I got a facial and now my face is bleeding. <gasps> this is what Jesus Christ experienced when he bled from every pore. And now I understand a sliver of that experience. 
when it's probably just not that deep. It's definitely not that deep, but there is definitely something ingrained in us Mormons that's hard to kick as post-Mormons where we want to make meaning and we want to make stories and we want it all to relate back to Jesus and the gospel. And this is a particularly pronounced example of that kind of thinking. Sweet, sweet girl trying to compare her facial to being in the Garden of Gethsemane. When I was 15, my best friend at the time and I were in a fight, just as teenage girls often are. We were in the same ward and her dad was in the bishopric. During testimony meeting, he got up and started telling a story about his daughter and a friend that were not seeing eye to eye. It was obvious that I was that friend. He then proceeded to say that he had told his daughter that she should, quote, punch that girl in the face. I still remember the feeling of complete shock and humiliation as I sat there sobbing the rest of the meeting. This was 15 years ago, but she and I have not spoken since. Not that I'd want to after her dad showed his true colors over the pulpit, and who knows what else was being said about me behind closed doors in their home. Advocating for your child to punch someone in the face over a disagreement is not okay, And then admitting to that publicly while a member of the bishopric over the pulpit, knowing that the friend was in the ward, is just insane. That is genuinely scary that you had to hear a grown man saying that he was telling his daughter to punch you over an argument. I'm also confused why he thought that that was even relevant to share over the pulpit. That's another thing people do in testimony meeting is just... They want to talk about their lives and random things, so they go up and find ways to somehow try and bring it back around to the gospel. Exhibit A, the facial girl who compared herself to Jesus Christ, but I can't imagine why this felt relevant for this man to share. That is so incredibly hurtful and so scary to be essentially promoting violence from the pulpit as a member of the bishopric. I hate that. I was living in Chicago when a man came up during testimony meeting and proclaimed that he was the Messiah. He even called the name of the blind man in our ward to come up to be healed. At that point, a member of the bishopric got up and told him that we don't do that here and escorted him out. If you haven't seen someone go up to the pulpit and proclaim that they are the Messiah, are you even Mormon? This seems to be kind of a common experience because I read multiple submissions that said someone went up and said they were some sort of messiah or christ or prophet or something like that and claimed to have been called or be that person so it seems like that's happening here and there in mormon chapels so maybe if you stop in one sunday you will meet a self-proclaimed messiah i wish they let him bring the blind man up No, because that would be sad and embarrassing for the person who was blind, but I kind of want to see what that guy was going to try and do to heal the blind man. You know, give him a shot. Give him his chance. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, here's another Messiah one. One time when I was 10, there was a woman who went up during testimony meeting and was just reading Bible verses for a good 20 minutes. She then said she was leading us to the second coming and said she had a mark to prove it. So somehow that led to her pulling down her shirt and almost flashing the entire congregation. Our bishop and her dad basically carried her from the pulpit because she refused to leave. There was also a baby blessing that day, so the chapel was packed. Needless to say, that traumatized me as a 10-year-old, and every testimony meeting, I would pray the whole time nothing like that would ever happen again. 
Mm, that is really scary as a young child when you don't understand all the factors that could be at play with someone having that sort of religious delusion. And I know I was just laughing about it before with the other Messiah, self-proclaimed Messiah we were talking about. But it actually is really sad when people have those delusions that are fueled by religion and feel the need to, you know, go share about them and are just fully believing this delusion that they have. I can imagine that there's probably a mental health element, potentially an addiction drug element to why people would think those sorts of things. And I think there's an interesting thing too, where a lot of times in, you know, congregations, LDS congregations, there are people who are older or maybe mentally ill and they are given this open mic and they go up and share things that are not true or are potentially delusional. And it can feel really uncomfortable and really scary. And it's also really sad because oftentimes those people are probably needing help and instead they are publicly embarrassing themselves and then getting shut down and ushered out, whatever. Hopefully this woman was given help as was the last person. And I think that, you know, many wards that I've been in have had certain characters that I feel like were around and would go up and everyone was like, oh, what's this person going to say? They oftentimes say some pretty out there type of things, but I don't know if there was a focus on just like getting that person help. Maybe there was. I don't know for sure. And I could have also take an initiative to get that person help. But basically, I just want to say this is more complicated than just being silly and funny because it shows that there's a lot of people in need of help who are having these delusions. And it also shows that it can be traumatizing to be young children in the congregation hearing these things and not having the same ability as adults do to understand what's at play. That sounds really scary for that 10-year-old, and I can totally relate. When something happened like that at church, it always felt really scary and really out of control. So I just felt nervous if anything like that happened, and I think that's a really valid experience. On my mission, a man got baptized. The next Sunday was Fast Sunday, and he goes up to bear his testimony. He looks around for a moment at the congregation and then confidently exclaims, This feels better than sex. <laughs> I love that. I think that's so endearing and tender and sweet. And it's always special to see people who are brought into the church, converts, and don't fully understand all of the cultural taboos and ins and outs of how things work at church. And then they get up and say things like this and don't realize that that's just not something one would probably say in a Mormon meeting. And it's funny and sweet. And this guy sounds like a blast. During the closing prayer, a lady asked for all of those with tattoos to be able to have them removed and to have perfect clean temples, aka bodies, again in the second coming. Nothing like giving the closing prayer and using it as an opportunity to passive-aggressively judge anyone who has a tattoo. Usually a closing prayer, you're just going to go ahead and say a simple prayer. Thanks for the meeting. Bless that we can get home safe. Keep us safe and healthy. But not this lady. She wanted it to be very clear that she was prejudiced against people with tattoos and was hoping that they could be perfect and clean again someday. Can we talk about people who take the opportunity when they are assigned to give a prayer to give a talk instead. 
This is a pet peeve of mine. When someone is saying the prayer at a meeting and instead of just saying a prayer, not even at a meeting, but at a family gathering, what have you, and instead of just saying a prayer, they essentially give a sermon disguised as a prayer. I don't know. It's just the worst. You're always hungry or like waiting to go and someone is just going on and on and on in a prayer and sometimes saying judgmental things like this woman was. A prayer is just a prayer. It's just a good old thanks we love you and goodbye. But apparently sometimes it's not. Okay, this is going to be the last one. And this is kind of a saga, but it's a good one. So here we go. Back in my home ward about 15 years ago, there was a progressive Mormon couple who were pretty vocal with issues they had with the church. One fast Sunday, the wife thought it was best to bear her testimony of all the lies the church spreads, her issues with gay marriage, this was during Prop 8 drama in Southern California, and how wrong the church's standpoint was and how unchristlike the church actually is. You could feel the temperature drop as she kept going. Then all of a sudden, one woman who was an OG of the ward stood up from the back pews, pointed her shaking finger at the woman on the pulpit and screamed, you sit down right now now. Immediately following her outburst, a man who is another OG from the ward turns around from the front pews and yells over his shoulder to her, Linda, sit down. I think that moment triggered anxiety that has never left me. Our poor bishop, who never knew what he was doing or how to be a bishop, awkwardly stood up with a grin of awkwardness, takes her by the elbow and says quietly, I think you should sit down. Yeah. After that, the rest of the meeting was the poor first counselor trying to bring back the spirit and really umph up some passionate testifying of God's love and forgiveness. That meeting still haunts me to this day over the lack of control people had and the poor woman just wanting to be heard and the congregation literally shutting her down. I am now eight years post-Mormon and wish I could give younger me in the pew a hug and go up to the woman and give her a high five. Woo! What a crazy testimony meeting. This was an interesting reflection for me because, as I've said many a time, when I was still in the church but had a lot of issues and problems, I always wondered about the productivity, I guess, of actually voicing my opinions and my concerns. And I think it's super badass that this woman decided to go share her thoughts and concerns. I think that's incredible and she should. I also think it just goes to show that the church doesn't function that way. It just really doesn't. Like there actually in a very real, real sense is not space to share concerns, to share problems. Maybe in certain wards, in certain places, this is not true. But I do think in most wards and in most communities of Mormons, There's no way that you can comfortably go share concerns because nobody wants to listen and you're going to get met with this kind of resistance. And it's not like I'm blaming this lady for the other woman standing up and yelling at her and then the man yelling at that woman. But again, it just goes to show the lack of capability to handle opinions that disagree with the church or with the choices like the prophets have made or whatever. There's not really a way to integrate that into how the church operates. And I think I found that out very quickly. I never went up and really shared my grievances, but I would sometimes like raise my hand in church and try and say something like, nah, but what about this? Or I would bear my testimony and be like, I'm not so sure what I think. And it always felt 
like it was just met with this awkwardness or this resistance and this discomfort. And I just realized if I have these issues, I think I just need to leave. And this gets us into the very complicated topic of progressive Mormonism generally, right? People who choose to stay but have a lot of concerns with what's going on in the church and have a lot of dissenting opinions and just thinking about how useful that is, how potentially not useful that is, is what more people need to do simply to leave the church in order to actually affect change or do we need those people on the inside who are sharing those opinions? And I've always said, you know, obviously to each their own. People need to do what's right for them and what feels right for them. But I do think it's important to face the fact that the church does not operate as a democracy and that one person or even a large group of people within the church vocalizing their opinions has never really affected change. And maybe that's not true because obviously changes have happened in the church, which I know even though prophets say it's revelation, they've happened because enough sentiment has grown toward that thing happening that it will happen, such as black people getting the priesthood, things like that. But I don't know, lots of thoughts, not a lot of conclusions on that one. I think it'd be an interesting thing to talk about more in depth because I think about it a lot and about that middle ground progressive Mormonism and how difficult that is to be in that space and to be trying to affect change when you're essentially met with this brick wall of resistance and of hierarchy and of control that the Mormon church has. But I do greatly sympathize with this woman and I'm proud of her for getting up and sharing, even though she probably knew it would only be met with resistance. And I wonder where she is now. And I hope that she's happy and content That does sound very traumatizing to be yelled at from the back pews, and that whole thing just sounds like a dramatic mess that validly traumatized this person who wrote in as a young child. I'm sure that created this feeling, even witnessing it, of realizing, oh, these dissenting opinions are not only not appreciated, but almost not even allowed because this person had to be sat back down. So that makes a big impression on a young brain and can probably feel really scary and really uncomfortable. Okay, that's all for today of Overheard at the Pulpit. I'm going to keep combing through the submissions. I am thinking about putting up a submission box that kind of lives all the time. Right now what I do, because I often get questions about this in the DMs, people will say, oh, where did the question box go? I intentionally only keep it up on my stories for a 24-hour period because I don't have the bandwidth to comb through more stories than that. But looking toward the future, I would love to have a couple of these submissions that are open all the time that I can just comb through on the regular as we revisit topics. I can just look through submissions that have already been put in. Thank you so much for writing in. It still gives me an absolute thrill when I see that you've taken the time to write in a story or a thought or an opinion. It just means a lot to me. And I love the interactivity of doing girls camp. I think it's really important to me that it feels like an interactive space where people are participating in some way with the content that I'm creating here. So anyway, I just want to say that I really appreciate you writing in, sharing these stories. It was so fun. 
It was very interesting to read through them all, and I appreciate being able to share them here to a wider audience so that people can know the kind of crazy that frequently goes down at Mormon testimony meetings and Mormon services. And I think that episode managed to do just that. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourself. I love you, and we'll talk next week. Bye. Bye.